and welcome to episode 50 of The Long Short. And what a year it has been. In total, The Long Short team have delivered 34 episodes and just over 1,300 minutes of content over the past year. On behalf of everyone on The Long Short team, I just want to give our sincere thanks to all our global listeners and all the amazing guests we had this year. It really has been our privilege to get to speak to such interesting and diverse guests and have them share their insights with us. And planning is already underway for next year with some really exciting names lined up to join the show. So don't miss out. Subscribe. And in the meantime, then, with the year drawing to a close, it's a good time to reflect on all the developments that have taken place across the alternative investment industry. And we are delighted then to be joined by our colleague and CEO of AMA, Jack Ingalls, to take us through the year just past, including the work being carried out under his stewardship at AMA and his thoughts on the alternative investment industry. Jack, you are very welcome back to the long short. I'm enjoying this tradition we're starting of uh, having you on towards the end of the year. Thank you, Drew. It's good to be back on. So Jack, AMA's year in review is out now. Um, certainly it's been another very busy year for the AMA team. What are your highlights of the past year? You know, Tom, sometimes I have to pinch myself to remind, um, uh, to remind myself what the past few years have been like. Um, it, it, it almost seems uh, unreal that this time last year we were just entering into another uh, lockdown, um, certainly in the UK, and that was on the back of various other lockdowns that had happened in the previous two years. So what's been absolutely wonderful this year and a real highlight for me is the return of uninterrupted in-person events, particularly the larger conferences and forums that we put on around the world, which we've been able to do this year pretty much um, uh, as we always used to do. So if I look at the number of people who've, who've attended those, um, that's six, about 6,000 people that have turned up at our in-person events. And that was 6,000 more than we had in 2020 uh, for obvious reasons. So that's, that, that to me has been a, you know enormously welcome um, thing to get back into um, and largely forget about. Um, uh, kind of the privations that we saw in 2020 and 2021. It's it's not true all around the world. Um, It has been difficult, certainly for some of my Asian colleagues, um, uh, specifically those ones uh, in in, uh, mainland China, in Shanghai, where we've got an office, uh, and also Hong Kong, which has still had some restrictions. But generally speaking, around the world, um, we've been open to um, to go about our business as, as we always um, uh, always used to do. So, big highlight for me. Um, I also look at, at just how much AMA has grown this year as well. We've um, uh, we're, we're nearing the end of the year, and this has been a record year for membership uh, acquisition. New members joining AMA. Um, and, and a record by, by quite a significant margin on last year, which in itself was was a record. So uh, new members, um, uh, firms are joining AMA, uh, and it gives me great encouragement that we're obviously got something that we're doing right, and they can see that um, that what we're offering is of use to them. So two big highlights for me. Um, unfortunately, within positive highlights, there's always um, some negative things which have really, um, uh, which really sort of make the year stand out. Uh, and for me, really, it's the extraordinary wave of new rules and proposals that have been made um, by the SEC in the US, several of which will have potentially some very, very significant and, um, and, and negative 
uh, impacts on on our members. So uh, I know we're talking about that a little bit later on, but um, that has been a, a, a huge thing for us to have to contend with this year, Tom. And I know you've been doing the rounds recently and, and speaking to members even more than you normally do throughout the year. So I just wanted to, to put it to you really and, and ask, what is it that the AMA members you've spoken to are, are really most interested in right now? You mentioned regulation there. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's the other good thing, um, not just being able to put on events, but to, to be able to get out and actually meet with members, um, whether it be one-on-one or, or, or at our events. And uh, there's there's a lot of stuff um, out there that they're interested in. So it really depends on, on who you're talking to. Um, for those amongst our member firms who are focused on regulatory and compliance issues, then inevitably... Um, what has been coming out of the US and particularly from the SEC has been something uh, that they've been wanting to hear more about. And, and, and certainly we've been communicating with our members uh, exactly where we stand in that, um, understanding um, uh, how they feel about them and, and certainly shaping our responses back to the regulators uh, based on what they're saying to us. But I, I think it's always quite interesting, uh, and I talked about events, is, is um, seeing kind of where the the greatest attendance lies, uh, either at the nature of the event or within a a broader event with multiple topics, which of the uh, sessions uh, seem to attract the most attendees. And you would have thought that the subject of ESG had uh, had been talked about uh, almost ad infinitum uh, in recent years. But nevertheless, when I look at the... um, those sessions which we've held on ESG and seen how much they've been attended and the sort of sort of questions that people are still asking, um, that's very much a topic at the forefront of people's minds at the moment, and certainly a huge desire to learn more about, which we've uh, we've sought to do both and through our events and through some of our publications and guidance notes that we produced uh, this year. Uh, Thirdly, and, and whether you're actively involved in it or not, uh, digital assets has been uh, rarely been away from, from, from people's talking points. We certainly found uh, that at the, when, we, when we ran our um, fourth, I think it is now, uh, crypto hedge fund report, that um, there's certainly been a huge increase from uh, the hedge fund community, that is, uh, in how they've been approaching crypto assets and actually including them in uh, in their portfolios. Now, that report was done in the first half of the year, uh, and clearly we've had some substantial things that have happened within the crypto space uh, in the second half. But nevertheless, uh, it is a topic that people like to talk about and, and, and a topic that um, that people always have an opinion on, whether they're, they're fully involved in it uh, or just watching from the sidelines. But that has also been um, of, um, uh, of particular uh, interest to our members, and, and certainly our work is centred around um, trying to shed more light on, on what is going on there and, and how a fully regulated crypto um, uh, market space uh, will look in the future. And Jack, you've alluded to the incredibly hectic year um, when it comes to our advocacy work. In total, AIMA has responded to over 100 industry proposals this year alone. And if I may quote you when you wrote in your dispatches column in the summer, the barrage of proposals that have been proposed by the SEC have the potential to be hugely damaging to the industry. So what is the latest happening around these proposals? Yeah, I don't, I don't think that was overstating the, the sort of situation with some of these proposals out of the US. And, and 
what's what's more acute is that we had been through a very benign period in in regulation um, under the previous administration in the United States, where very little was of new. Uh, of note was was proposed um, by the by the former administration, but a new chair of the SEC came in, Gary Gensler, uh, and uh, and he set about a pace um, with an extraordinary number of new proposals. I think um, if I can uh, kind of pick out two of the of the very many that have been put that have given greatest rise for consternation uh, by us and and by our members. Um, the first is is the um, uh, private fund advisors uh, new rule proposals, um, which fundamentally um, uh, change the relationship, I suppose, between uh, manager and their client, the investor, um, with regards to transparency, further reporting, to preferential treatment to individual investors by giving them um, uh, different terms from other investors. I think picking out really the, the kind of the most troublesome aspect of it is, is the, the concept of um, uh, liability, which is now being put onto just pure negligence rather than gross negligence, which actually puts uh, private fund advisors uh, potentially under a substantial amount of risk new risk that, that, that they previously did not have for certain ac actions which um, uh, may indeed just be accidental. So the liability of, of private fund advisors is expected to go up if these proposals actually come into law, um, uh, to go up very, very significantly. And that's extremely worrying and actually very damaging. The second one that I would highlight amongst the, the US proposals, that is, is the proposal to change the definition of what a securities dealer is. Uh, and thereby capturing a lot of funds uh, which you've been able to operate without actually being considered as a securities dealer uh, in the past. And when you, become, when you have to get registered as a securities dealer, it comes with an, an enormous amount of onerous um, requirements, uh, not least of which are capital requirements. Uh, that are expected of securities dealers. And we, we take great issue with this because we cannot see how you can um, include a, uh, a hedge fund in our instance um, uh, 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 and call it a securities dealer. And that has massive implications, not just for the manager, but actually also for the investors in hedge funds. Um, if you're actually calling the fund itself a securities dealer, um, that may not be what investors actually really signed up to um, to, to invest in. So um, we've obviously been pushing back very hard against some of these things, outlining um, where we think some of the negative uh, consequences of these proposals are. Um, and we'll continue to do that um, uh, very vigorously and we'll, do, we'll continue to do so into 2023. But, uh, you know, we hope we get some change. We hope we're being listened to. But 2023 is going to be a very significant year to see um, uh, what the final shape of these proposals is going to be and, and what indeed um, ours and the industry's reaction is going to need to be um, if that is the case. Of course, our advocacy work isn't just limited to the US, although, that, as you mentioned, that has been a particular focus for us this year. But there is still a lot happening elsewhere in Europe and APAC and elsewhere. So, so could I just ask you to share your thoughts on developments in these other regions? And you've, you've hinted at some of the challenges in APAC, for example. Yeah, well, that, that's that's right, Drew. I mean, for, for, for a very long period of time, um, Europe seemed to be the, the biggest workload for our 
um, advocacy activities uh, around uh, regulation as it um, as it affects our members, but that all changed last year, as uh, as I've said, with what happened um, uh, out of the SEC. But nevertheless, there is still stuff going on uh, in Europe, which is demanding our attention, uh, and indeed some of it actually very very positive. I'll pick two things in in Europe, for example. The, um, the review of the uh, AIFMD, the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive, uh, which really should have begun back in 2017. It was a little bit late to, to get underway. Um, but here we are in, in, in 2022, and that review is still going on. Um, I'm pleased to say that partly as a result of, of some of our influence in there and, and, um, uh, and, and, and the industry voicing its views that actually in its current format, AFMD works um, pretty well, uh, that the temptation from the Commission to make wholesale changes to this uh, has been tempered somewhat. So uh, while the final text has not been uh, approved at the, um, uh, at the Parliament level yet, it is close to getting so, uh, and then there will be some technical adjustments that are made in the Level 2 text. Um, but from what we can see at the moment, uh, I think we're going to end up with something that's pretty workable, and I think that's... Um, that's a good outcome for the industry. Uh, AFMD has been troublesome ever since it was first put forward uh, post the financial crisis. Uh, but nevertheless, I think we've got something that is going to be reasonably workable for our industry. One other thing I'd point out in, in the European sphere is the finalisation of the reforms that have gone uh, into LTIF, so the um, long-term investment funds, which really are now, and I think we, we played a very central part in, uh, in, in proposing uh, changes that could be uh, put into the, the new rules around LTIF, the new regime. Um, and so the reform product, I think, is extremely fit for purpose uh, that will be very beneficial to particularly private credit and private equity managers looking to raise funds in Europe for um, uh, the European investors. So I think we've ended up with an extremely good result there uh, and very pleased with the, with the role that the AIM has played uh, in, in, in getting it to its final form. Uh, in APEC... Um, number of different uh, jurisdictions out there, obviously. Uh, if I pick some sort of themes out there that we've been engaged in, uh, I mentioned ESG um, uh, earlier on, and, uh, and, and APAC doesn't escape that, particularly some of the just sort of reporting that goes around um, uh, ESG, the disclosures, some of the, um, uh, the data. There's been quite a bit of work around that. And also um, in, in Australia and Hong Kong, there's been some tax issues that we've also been dealing with there. Uh, and then finally, Singapore is an interesting place. Um, uh, while Hong Kong has uh, remained um, somewhat difficult to, to enter, I know it's eased recently, but because of some of the COVID restrictions there, um, Singapore has really come into its own, and, and um, we've definitely seen uh, managers expanding their reach into into Singapore. Um, if they already had an office in Hong Kong, thinking about getting a license in, in Singapore as well, and we've certainly seen that trend. And so we've been working with the, the Singaporean government around um, uh, visa applications uh, to enable uh, people to, to, to arrive in Hong Kong and, and start doing business there. So a um, number of different things out there, um, but all of which have been fairly largely positive. This winter marks the return of AMA and the ACC's Private Credit Investor Forum taking place on January 30th at the Fontainebleau Hotel in sunny Miami. 
This one-day event, which takes place in partnership with the iConnections Global Alts Conference, will kick off with small group sessions over brunch, followed by insightful panels and expanded networking opportunities. LPs, GPs, and industry specialists from all over the globe will come together to discuss the key trends shaping allocator sentiment and the evolution of the asset class. Join us to share in the discussion, get business done, and support the growth of the private credit industry. Sponsorship opportunities are available, so please check in on our website for a complete agenda. Come be a part of Florida's annual Alternative Investment Week. And, and Jack, AMA has also um, enhanced its investor engagement as well and um, with the formation of our Global Investor Board earlier this year. What can you tell our listeners about that? So we formed this uh, this board, as you say, it's a, we call it the Global Investor Board, which is, which is really an, an advisory board of very senior people within a group of allocators chosen from around the world. Um, they are uh, largely representatives from public and private pension plans, um, some endowments, uh, sovereign wealth funds, uh, as well as family offices, and mostly people involved in at, at the investment side of things, so chief investment officers. Uh, in the main. And we, we convened this group and, and it's really been meeting monthly now since January this year. And, and uh, uh, Ama uh, is very pleased to, to provide the secretariat for that. And the discussion points have been pretty far reaching. But at the beginning of the year, when it was on everyone's lips and, and perhaps still is, is the subject of ESG. Uh, we know that, 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 um, that it matters to investors. Uh, but we wanted to see um, to what degree it did matter, uh, and indeed did it differ um, either in different parts of the world or different type of investors. And, and, and that's kind of what we, we, we did find out. We had about three sessions just solely talking about ESG and an individual allocator's approach to that, really with the aim of helping our manager members understand a bit more what was going through their, their clients, their, their investors' minds. Uh, when that when that subject comes up, we've also examined very closely uh, what strategic partnership means. It's an off-use term uh, between manager and uh, and an allocator. But what are sort of the beneficial things that um, that both parties can expect to get out of a so-called strategic partnership um, in in that relationship? And and sort of associated with that, we've taken the opportunity to re-examine. Any changes uh, or trends we're seeing um, to uh, alignment of interests? Where are um, where are the interests of both investor and um, investment manager? Where are they kind of meeting that um, that satisfy both sets of that uh, of that equation? Uh, and I know Tom, you've been working very much on on that yourself, and we've got a publication coming out. Um, in the near future, uh, which is an update on on the variants we've done of that in the past. So these are the sort of topics that we like to engage the Global Investor Board on. And what we do is we write up the the discussions or certainly the interesting points that come out of them uh, and share those those, um, with our members um, uh, in in write-ups that uh, that can be accessed on our website. So hopefully this is an additional... um, uh, source of good information that is getting to our manager members that helps them just get inside the minds of their, of their clients a bit more so that they can therefore really uh, optimize their, their, their product offering um, to what investors are really wanting to get. 
If we could just take a moment to look at the industry more broadly, given the continued high levels of economic volatility being experienced, the case for alternative investments continues to grow, I would argue. Albeit we're not quite through to the end of the year, and I definitely don't want to jinx anything. But if you're an investor in hedge funds and private credit, dare I say it, you should be feeling pretty happy right now with both asset classes offering value to investors. Would you agree? Yeah, of course. Of course, you should be feeling pretty happy um, as uh, uh, as we hit the end of 2022. I mean, it's been a terrible year in uh, in, in traditional investments, if I can call them that. Um, just think about global equities. Uh, the MSCI world is, I don't know, down about 15% um, uh, as it stands at the moment. It was down a lot more uh, if it hadn't been for um, some sort of recovery in the past couple of months. Um, that's equities. Bonds, if you look at um, uh, just the, the overall returns you've got from investing in the bond markets this year, as interest rates have gone up, you're also right there about a negative um, 15%. So um, that was kind of the benchmark, as it were, uh, against which to judge other types of investments. And I'm really happy to see um, that in the main, hedge funds uh, have performed extremely well this year. Both on a, um, well, certainly on a, on a on a relative basis compared to those numbers I've just shown, but actually the the broad hedge fund indices, um, which really cover you know, all managers and 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 strategy styles, they're in positive territory this year, up I think um, on an asset weighted basis somewhere in the region of maybe a couple of percent or so. Um, so at least that's positive. Uh, you know, two percent doesn't sound huge, but actually, if you start dig down a bit deeper uh, and look at some of the returns, um, there's quite a bit of dispersion. So the top ten percent, the top decile of, of managers, uh, on average, have, have gained uh, or made for their clients this year, their investors, um, in excess of forty percent. Um, but it's not all roses. At the other end of the spectrum, um, the bottom 10% um, have um, shown negative returns of about 30%, 30% plus or so. So that's probably the widest dispersion I've seen almost ever. Um, so, uh, you know, clearly the industry has not been the same for actually every single participant in it. And there have been some winners and losers. And so it will really depend on which managers and which strategies and which funds you picked as to how well you're feeling if you've been a hedge fund investor. Elsewhere in, in alternatives, um, private equity, uh, sometimes a little bit more difficult to gauge exactly what the uh, performance has been like. They don't produce um, uh, monthly NAVs, for example. Uh, they, 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 there's been some uh, thought around the fact that their valuations of their equity holdings, their private equity holdings, hasn't been as marked down as steeply as we've seen uh, markdowns in the public equity market. Um, but we'll see at the year end exactly what that has been. But I, one would expect, just on a pure valuation perspective, um, that private equity would... Um, uh, would uh, would be showing a sort of a negative return uh, on the year. And, and then with private credit, now that's a really interesting one. Um, as you know, Drew, we have a, a, a strong arm of AMA um, in the work that we do through the Alternative Credit Council. Um, so we're pretty close to what's going on in, in, in the private credit world. And, and 
that um, that segment of alternatives uh, continues to draw a lot of interest and attention from investors. I think sort of two things I would say um, uh, about performance there. One, I think this is critical, is that most of the private credit industry is linked to floating rate notes rather than fixed rate notes, fixed rate um, uh, interest. Uh, and therefore, rising interest rates would not uh, cause the same uh, the same impact as we see in fixed rate bonds where where um, uh, prices have gone down as interest rates have gone up. So that's been extremely helpful for them. But the opportunity set, I think, still continues to be there, um, uh, particularly as banks uh, are, are even more reticent this year of, of uh, extending loans than they had been previously and therefore creating lots of opportunity around the world um, for private credit uh, investors. And indeed, with um, uh, the economy and the sort of situation that it is in, uh, the global economy, that is, I think that the um, desire for debt financing from companies uh, is very much intact and will perhaps indeed grow. Uh, and I think private credit industries can be able to pick its spots to produce good returns um, uh, continuing into next year. Just picking up that point, Jack, uh, looking ahead to next year then, crystal ball time, crystal ball gazing time. How do you see the environment then for alternative investments over the coming 12 months? Um, And I may have been an economics graduate um, many, many, many years ago, um, but uh, even I failed to, um, uh, to want to try and put some sort of prediction on what, inter- what interest rates are going to look like next year, what inflation is going to look like next year, what the uh, economic growth pattern is going to look like next year. Uh, I suppose the one thing we know for certain is that volatility is going to remain. And um, we know, and we've said in the past, that uh, volatile markets should and indeed do create opportunity um, uh, for hedge funds, those trading in the public markets. Uh, so, so long as that remains, then I think um, we're, we're facing an environment which actually should be good uh, for um, uh, for the hedge fund industry. Uh, so I was looking back on what I said last year. I was uh, I expressed a, a, um, a very sort of positive outlook for uh, the hedge fund industry in 2022, this year that's just ending. Um, didn't quite come out the way that I looked at it. I couldn't have forecast um, Ukraine and I couldn't have infl- forecast all the um, uh, the fallout from that. But that's what we know now. And I think it looks set to continue. Um, the global economy is challenged. Um, and I think traditional investments will therefore will investment styles will, will be challenged into 2023. Uh, and I think uh, in terms of relatively outperforming. Uh, Hedge funds have got a very good opportunity to do this again next year. But I think also to create good, genuine, absolute return performance next year, I think that um, uh, the the, the conditions allow them to do that, but it's not going to be easy. Um, It's really not going to be easy at all. Uh, And as we saw from the dispersion figures that I I mentioned uh, earlier on, not everybody has been able to capitalize on the uh, uh, on the opportunity set this year, and I suspect that will be pretty much the same next year. But good managers with good strategies, uh, I think, have got a very positive year ahead of them next year. So finally then, bringing the conversation back to AIMA, what are your priorities for our association over the coming year? 
our priorities should should always reflect what our members most need from us, uh, and um, and this sort of brings us a little bit back full circle to what we were talking about um, right at the beginning of this podcast. Kind of what are the big issues that um, our members are facing? And I pick pick uh, the the SEC wave of new proposals and new potential rules that would come into effect next year. That has to be right at the top of our list because of the. A potentially extremely harmful effect um, that would have on, on our members. So we have to allocate and dedicate our resources to making sure that the, the least worst outcome, um, I know that doesn't sound uh, as, as positive as it should do, but um, this is a situation that we're faced with. Um, the least worst outcome is, uh, is, is, is what happens, and therefore we have to commit our resources to making sure that that is, um, uh, that is the case. Now, a lot of people on this call uh, who might be listening to this uh, might be wondering, well, why does this why does this matter to me? I'm not in the U.S. Surely this was really any impact, uh, aim as members in the U.S. Well, that's actually not strictly speaking true. Uh, these rules, while aimed at um, registered, registered advisors um, at the SEC, uh, are also uh, going to impact exempt advisors, of which that covers. Um, a very significant part of the AIMA membership, wherever they might sit around the world, um, and particularly also if they've got U.S. investors. So um, everybody should be sitting up and taking notice, and that has to be something that um, that, that is right front and center for us to be continue working on in, in 2023. Um, but we still want to grow AIMA. We think we've still got an enormous opportunity to um, further deepen ourselves uh in 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 scope of what we do in the us uh our membership there is already pretty broad and deep but we think given the size of that market um there's a perfect opportunity for us to continue to expand our offering there and and that's going to be a uh, a significant focus for us as we continue to 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 increase the resources that we have available to members there um so just a few things there drew about um uh, uh what we're doing but uh, if we can uh, continue to be as relevant to members um, as seems to be indicated by the new members who are joining us, um, then I'll be very happy at the end of 2023. Jack, as always, we are very pleased to have you join us on the long short. And uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom from your position as CEO. And I know it's hugely valuable for our members to get your thoughts on the year and, and hear about Amos' focus for the year ahead, which uh, I think sounds it's like it's going to be extremely busy indeed. So thank you so much. And I'm sure we'll have you back in the studio soon. Thanks, guys. Very good to be on. So all that is left from the Longshot team is to wish all our listeners a very happy holidays wherever you are in the world and you'll be hearing from us very soon. The Longshot was brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Longshot on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AIMA.org. Thanks for listening.